0: Yeah, it seems pretty Um, simple, pretty minimalistic, very zen. I like it.
1: Yeah. Might use it if it uh,
0: works. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I actually don't know anything about you, um, so I Hmm. can't even really introduce you. You're a YouTuber and a a blogger, and I follow you on Twitter, but I I don't really know. I don't know what your background is or what your your core interests are.
0: Well, that's, yeah, I never know how to answer those kinds of questions, but uh, I mean, I've been participating in this kind of online discourse, like debating, uh, you know, dissident thought stuff for quite a while. Uh, I don't have, you know, a a label or an ideology or anything like that. Uh, So I can't give you a simple answer to the question, you know, who are you? But uh, yeah, I I really don't know how to answer the question because like uh, my views are are very... um, I would say they're pretty much unique. So I don't really have a, a space. I'm more on the right than the left, but I'm not really in a specific, uh, category. And I, I don't know much about you actually. So what's your, like, how would you yeah, describe I, yourself?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't really have a political orientation. I guess I'm sort of like de facto on the right because I have a, a few things I do feel like I can understand. And then I care about, um, are socially conservative um but otherwise like i don't i don't really like have any ideas about like governance uh for example um and i feel like a lot of pressure to identify as something um but (laughs) i think i just confuse people by being like nothing i've said centrist before but that's not really meaningful because i don't really
0: you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Once you assign a label to it, it's no longer what it means, right? Like, like, uh, there were these people calling themselves rationalists. But then once you call yourself a rationalist, now rationalism is an ideology. It doesn't mean that you're just trying to be rational. It means that you have a certain set of views, and you associate with a certain group, and yada, yada. So uh, yeah, labels are not, uh, I mean, they're kind of like traps, right? which is uh, kind of related to Lanza's views, actually, you know, that culture imprisons us, right? We're imprisoned and our natural individuality is taken away by culture.
1: So I guess I'll I'll introduce the topic, which is, um, yeah, this is the second episode I'm I'm recording about um, Adam Lanza's digital footprint. Um, but I think it's going to be the first one that I air, um, because the second one is a little bit more um, meandering and a little bit more personal. Um, but you actually, I found you because you uh, wrote a really interesting essay called The Ghost of Adam Lanza about his YouTube channel, um, which had been re-uploaded in, I think, 2019. Um, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing Reed Coleman re-uploaded it.
0: Um, I don't think so. I think it was sitting there the whole time. And it was taken down as soon as it was discovered. But the comments on there were from uh, like the time period when the videos were made. So I think it was the original channel that had never been discovered and was sitting there uh, all those years. Uh,
1: That's so so crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it's amazing, really. The staff must have messed with it because the videos have a 2019 date um, and the comments are turned off, but they leave it up.
0: Oh, is it st- is it back up? I think you might be looking at something else. I I don't know. Um, the channel that I'm aware of was taken down, like almost immediately after it was discovered. But we can I mean we can pick that up later. It's not a super important thing. But yeah, as far as I know, it was up all that time, and there had been comments on it, and he had been interacting with certain people, and then uh, yeah, he committed his act and just, you know, disappeared and the channel sat there for years and nobody knew it was him, uh, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But who knows what else is out there?
1: That's yeah. I mean, I'm always curious about how like people's social media is found. You know, there's some some things that's obvious, right? Like if you have a Twitter account, it's pretty clearly you and you have some overlap. But sometimes... Um, you know, like a, like a lot of the people he references, even they're like, you know, they have hundreds of followers, and I can understand you knowing who they are, uh, with if you're in the in those niches. But otherwise, a lot of these things must get lost to to time and obscurity.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot of it does. It is kind of interesting. There's now like, uh, you know, you could do web archaeology and, and dig down and find all these things that have been. Lay or under the strata of you know, years of of web, uh, I don't know deposits. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny because they used to say that if something's on the internet, it's forever and it will always be there. But it's actually not really true. Like as time goes on, these things get buried deeper and deeper. So yeah, it was it was like falling through time to find that channel. And I'm pretty sure I, I don't think I ever like interacted with him. But I think I have seen that name before. And I think I may have even responded to a comment on another channel that he made like around 2013 or something like that, because it rings a very faint bell. But uh, I wouldn't like bet my life on it. But I I think I have seen him before, like in the comments somewhere. There's a lot of stuff like that out there.
1: I had read, I think on Shocked Beyond Belief or something. On some forum that, like he, like a Tumblr was discovered, um, but I was not. I wasn't able to find his Tumblr. But he seems to have been on Tumblr because he, in I think it's in my anti-natalism that video, he says something like, um, "What is what does he say?" He says, uh, "He says he lists some pronouns and then he says or themselves, whatever the prima donnas are making me say now." I think referencing non-binary. Uh, identity and i was i was really struck by that um because as you mentioned in your essay he has a um he, he's you know he, he's in all of these different scenes but i guess like let's let's back up and start from the, the beginning so this this channel is is, is found um and i mean I, how would you, how would you care how would you characterize uh the videos that are up there
0: well, very dark. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a dark, but... Uh, okay, so the videos consist of a black screen. There's no video content, it's audio. And he's recording them, I think, while he's lying in bed, and he's talking very close to the mic, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, breath sounds on the mic. It's, it's a little bit hard to listen to.
2: I haven't done this before. Whenever I make a video, I've always thought about Basically, what I wanted to cover.
0: But uh, he is going through his... Uh, in most of them, he is talking about his philosophy, his worldview. In some of them, it is more like he's responding to people or he is uh, talking about things that are more tangential to his worldview. Really nothing
2: to do with it. It just got me thinking about well, doctors. I really fucking hate doctors.
0: But in most of them, he's presenting a system of ideas to the world. And... Uh, It's a very, I would say it's almost unique or a unique system of ideas. It has connections to other philosophical positions, but it is very um, isolated, really. I mean, it is its own thing, and he calls it eulavism. So he's presenting this idea of eulavism, but he also talks about how he got to this position and some of his other views about culture and uh you know other things about himself and stuff like that, so the disease of culture begins with the selective application of emotion to manipulate children into behaving in culturally
2: sanctioned ways. If the child's behavior fulfils your values, you apply an affirming emotion if the child be- if the child's behavior deviates from the fulfilment of your values, you apply an antagonistic emotion. This feral method is present in every interaction the children will have in the rest of its life, but there is a more complex mechanism available. Once the child is old enough, it becomes infected with language. It is primarily through this mechanism that cultural
0: events. It's very much like that YouTube confessional, uh, like that early style of you know going on YouTube and just spilling your guts. But also, you know, maybe you have some idea that you want to spill that you can't talk about in real life, but you can talk about to anonymous strangers on the internet. So it was very much in that old school style of uh, like YouTube discourse. It's mostly gone now. And he was part of some of those circles on YouTube, too, like the Afilists and the the broader circle of antinatalists. But also, I think more generally, the the sort of heretical discourse space on YouTube. Like he was aware of these other points in that space.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, so in your, your essay, you talk about like heretical spaces as though it's it's one space, right? Um, and lots of different uh, kinds of thinkers um, are represented in this space, um, white nationalists, uh, FLists, um, which we can get into a little bit later. Um, I, I mean, was it was it just one space at, at that point where you know, if you just if you went against the grain, maybe there were a few people who believed the same thing you did. But otherwise it was it was just here's here's the dissident hangout
0: well i I mean there there were a number of overlapping spaces that interacted so I, i think it started like i was kind of late getting to it but i think it started with the atheists and theists debating on youtube i think that was one of the big early um like debating spaces on youtube and it brought together people from different like opposing sides to have debates or to, you know, pwn each other or to do this reply video format. Like they would, one person would make a video, then somebody would respond to it and kind of make fun of what they said and it would it go back and forth. Uh, and so there were a lot of different, um, places within that. It was like a map. You had all these different communities within it, but they were interacting and, uh, So in a way it was one space or one, yeah, one big space with a lot of different um, centers of gravity within it that attracted different people. And antinatalism was one of those spaces and it was linked to atheism. Right. But it was also linked to its opposing views, like to right wing, uh, because it's sort of on the left, there'd be like right wing opponents and then there would be like left wing opponents like vegans or, um, well, I don't know, like um, uh, the, the sort of centrist liberal types who were like lefty but didn't want to go and and like they, they weren't anti-life, right? So you had all these different spaces and ephelism was one of those little little spaces that centered on in Antinatalism was a bigger space, I think. Uh, and then the atheist-theist debates were really big. And then there was men's rights versus feminism and all that stuff, you know, and the white nationalists and the anarcho-capitalists, right? The the whole thing after 2008, the debates about economics and, you know, um, is the Fed destroying the world by printing money and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, in some ways it's not really different now because the internet is a breeding ground of ideologies, right? But... I guess it was fresher, more chaotic, more uh, interesting then. Now it, it seems like... It feels different. Hmm? Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, it feels... You know what I think the difference is? Um, even, like, maybe Vice might go in and, and write an article about ephelism, but it feels like everything's a ticking time bomb uh, to be harvested for content, either by, like, a YouTuber who's doing these sort of, like, uh, you know internet culture commentary videos or, um, you know, by a internet culture reporter. Like nothing sort of feels like it's happening for its own sake. It all feels like it's uh, it's going to get, get written up or something. And I think that kind of, I don't know, maybe that's just, that's my bias as someone who actually, who writes about this kind of stuff.
0: No, I, th- I think you're right. It, it, there is a sense that the stakes are higher because before it was like, well, we're just a bunch of weirdos on some corner of the internet nobody cares what we say. Right. So a lot of interesting things were said and now it's, it's much more in the spotlight and uh, culturally relevant and being censored and all that. So yeah, I think it's, it's different.
1: It also feels like he felt like truly fringe in some way that I can't, I don't know if I could really describe, but it felt like he was sort of eccentric, um, you know, I mean, obviously, right, you know, knowing what we know now, but if you take just the videos and you don't know that 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 Sandy Hook happens, right, he feels eccentric in this way that it feels really rare now. I I feel like there's a lot of performance that happens um, and a lot of it's like easier to to get status by being kind of an Internet weirdo. So it's it's kind of hard to meet more.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happens. The normies sort of move into any space eventually, if it's successful and, and start to dominate it and yeah, it becomes all uh, performative and self-conscious and uh, you know, like, yeah, the authenticity kind of fades away. I mean, it's like what happens to music scenes or what used to happen when music scenes existed, that there would be a bunch of people who really liked the music and were into it, but then it would become a thing, it would become a trend and then people would jump on the bandwagon and kind of uh drag it down you know so yeah it's very similar to that i think but but yeah lanza comes across as being very authentic like very concerned with what he's saying and not like n- not performing at all right he's not trying to be liked he's not trying to be cool he's not trying to make a buck he is just telling you what he believes uh yeah i mean i really wish i could have talked to him because he you know he presents a very interesting character and a very tragic character, obviously, but, uh, but that's in retrospect. So, but I think we we should probably focus in on the content of the, the videos, right? Like, um,
1: yeah, I I wanted to ask you, well, I was, I I was debating what to ask first. I mean, it's very interesting to see his, um, evolution from anarcho-primitivist to his own philosophy. Right, he seems to knock one down. He go. He seems to cycle through them and knock one down, um, one after the other down. Uh, but yeah, I guess I mean, I guess that is, is is the first question. Would you, you know, do you do you agree? Would you say like he starts sort of anarcho-primitivist and evolves into just? I I still don't totally understand what his what the difference between Uvalism and ethylism is. Because um, it seems like he kind of lands on the same page towards the end.
0: Well, it, it's not. Yeah, I, I can get into that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, so with the anarcho-primitivism, th- this is what I think uh, he went through as far as the progression of his worldview. He, he was a kid. and I think he started out thinking for himself about these things and later discovered the Internet and then kind of um found himself at a point within that space of ideas. But I think it started out with him just looking at the world, being intelligent, uh, being different, having Asperger's syndrome. And he came to this view that culture was a kind of disease or an imposition on human nature. So he was anti-culture. And that's why his channel was called cultural Philistine, right? He is a, uh, apostate of culture, a rejecter of culture, because he saw culture as these values or memes, you could say, that were propagated mindlessly from one person to another. So people were just, you know, copying each other, imitating each other. And these behavior patterns, these ideas would propagate, but they weren't the real true values of the individual of the like, the feral self which is what he called it the like the natural or wild self so he imagined this feral self this wild you know natural individual uh, unaffected by culture and then he saw culture as being imposed on this feral self and imprisoning it imposing fake values on it so now the feral self you know would no longer doing what it wanted to do instead it was doing what it was supposed to do right what it was expected to do And then, uh, so this is like, you know, it's kind of a prison. It's kind of a disease. There are different metaphors you can use, but, uh, so he, he had this very negative view of culture, but, but then, and I think this was where like antinatalism and aphilism started to influence him. So like that original view is a kind of anarcho-primitivism. You could say it's an anarcho-primitivism of the left kind of, or if the liberal side, it's not like, you know, the guy who celebrates the bronze age because he imagines that it would be like, you know, this glorious time of conquering your enemies and living a real life. You know, it's more like he viewed civilization and culture as a prison, as an, as a form of oppression. Right. And he wanted to liberate himself from it. And then he applied the same critique that he applied to culture, to life, to biology. And he came to see that uh, it wasn't just culture that was mindlessly propagating values. It was life itself that mindlessly propagated values. Like, you know, why do you want anything? Well, because you have emotions that make you want to eat, want to sleep, want to, you know, drink water, have sex, whatever. And those emotions, those natural values, force you to struggle to attain them, right? And so he kind of, uh, he, he transferred his critique of culture to biology, in a sense, and, and to life, and that, that's what eulavism is. Eulavism is the rejection of values. So just as efilism comes from life spelled backwards, Eulavism comes from value spelled backwards and it is the rejection of value. And so the difference between the two is that ethelism rejects life, but it does so as a value judgment, right? It says life is bad. So ethelism does not reject values. Eulavism rejects life as being bad by its theory of value. Eulavism is in some ways uh, a more radical Uh, rejection of like everything because Eulavism rejects values. And in doing so, it puts itself into a paradox because, you know, the rejection of values is itself a value. And one of the things that was in the the videos is that Lanza knew that. He knew that he was in a paradox uh, and that his rejection of value was itself a value. But it was still there. Uh, you know, and he he couldn't escape from having values because he's a living being, except, of course, through death. So uh, I don't know, does that does that work as a summary of it or
1: i I think so. um i've I've heard um Ethelism talked about as sort of like a a rejection of sentience, um nature being sort of the true enemy. um. And I guess it was it was hard it was hard for me was hard, I, I guess it's because of the, the the paradox that you're describing it was hard for me to parse like what the real difference was because it seemed like his concerns were were practically the same. Right? He was
0: certainly like, influenced by it, yeah. But I mean, his concerns were somewhat different, um, and and they weren't articulated all that clearly. So it's hard to say exactly what Lanza believed. But he had a hatred of life and a hatred of culture. And he had a critique of life and of culture. Now, ethicalism it does not really have a critique of culture. Uh, n- I mean, it has a little bit of one, but it's mostly a critique of life, right? And it's, it's from, uh, a kind of assumed moral theory a- and value theory in which, um, well, which is essentially hedonistic meaning that what is good is good feelings or pleasure, and what is bad is bad feelings or pain. And then ephilism critiques life it, well in two ways. One is that life is mostly bad. There, there's a lot of suffering in life. I guess you could say three ways. There's a moral critique, which is that life is, uh, you could say, evil. right? It consists of organisms eating each other, fighting, struggling for existence in a harsh world. Uh, then you could say that life psychologically is mostly negative. This is their claim that there's a lot of suffering and that the pleasure is very minimal or, like you know, not not it doesn't compensate for the pain. Or there's another argument, which is that it is unethical because uh, there's a violation of consent. You don't consent to be born. I mean, this is more of an antinatalist argument that. It's immoral to have a child because the child cannot consent to being brought into this condition in which it can be harmed. But if you don't have a child, you never create the being that could experience the harm, right? So there's no harm in not having a child, but there could be harm in having a child. Um, These arguments are not all... Uh, jointly consistent, right? Like the consent argument is not a utilitarian argument, it's a deontological argument. So they have a number of different arguments that they use and they don't all they're not they're not all internally consistent. But uh but but Aflism, which is in Mendem's philosophy, focuses mostly on the harshness, the brutality of life, the the nature of subjective experience that life is, you know, that you have to suffer before you can feel pleasure, and then uh, this kind of moral condemnation of life. And and Lanza was quite different. Like he wasn't really morally condemning life, although he might have, in some sense, had a moral intuition that rejected it. But he didn't really believe in morality because morality is culture, right? It is those values that are mindlessly imposed on people. Um, and he he didn't really believe. I mean, Lanza was like I guess in some ways you could say a value nihilist, <clears throat> but he oh, excuse me. <clears throat> he was like a value nihilist, but he still had values. So he rejected values. How do I explain this? <laughs> I'm kind of scramb- struggling to explain this. Like on, on one level he understood that there is no cosmic purpose. There is no like rational theory of value that makes one thing good and another thing bad, either morally or personally, but he still had values. And that was, an you know, the condition that he couldn't escape from except through death. And um, like he talked about this when he said that, uh, well, let me just find the quote actually. I have it somewhere. Uh,
2: he said I I was not and I am not in some existential crisis. I've never had the slightest problem with the obvious non existent of free will, objective purposes, and all of that. I have always been entirely psychologically capable of accepting my own subjective values and goals, even though I know they are consummately inconsequential, and it doesn't bother me at all. The problem is not that I seek meaning and cannot find it. The problem is that I do feel immense meaning, and so does everyone else who is alive. Meaning is an abstract interpretation of value, which exists only because of life. Just as I sought to eradicate the delusional values which culture infected me with, the final solution is the termination of my life to rid myself of all the fall value.
0: So that the was his um, kind of paradoxical view, right? That he was trapped in this condition of having meaning, but he had a higher perspective that this meaning is really like fake or, well, it's not objective. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I explained that very oh, well. No, no,
1: I, I, I think you did. Um, you know, he, in one of his videos, I don't know if you remember this, he, it's it's interesting, he lets something slip. He's critiquing school and, um, you know, he he starts off the video, he's, he says something to the effect of like, I've never been bullied in the traditional sense, but I've been bullied in the sense that we've all been bullied. Um, you know by culture Um, and then so and then he goes on to mention school and how school is a a mechanism for this and um, he's talking about it what childhood is
2: it's children saying I don't care I don't want your values I don't want to live and adults constantly saying you should care about values you should choose culture you should choose life and that's what parenting and childhood and education and all that is it's just adults bullying children into accepting their values. So how can you... Well,
0: he was definitely suicidal. But yeah, I mean, his his point about bullying is, is true. That in some sense, we are bullied into accepting the values of our culture. Uh, and bullying is part of, you know, human existence. And so this, like, you know... Uh, Let's not bully anybody thing is itself a kind of bullying, you know, because you're telling everybody, well, you better not bully people. Bullying is wrong, and we all should chant together. bullying is wrong. It's like that scene in um what is it, the life of Brian, where everybody sells, yes, yeah, where everybody says, yes, we should think for ourselves uh, in unison because the <laughs> the great leader told them that they should think for themselves. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can't get away from that, right? You can't get away from conformity and culture uh and not just conformity but the the kind of bullying of culture onto people now it's not it's not as as um one-sided as lanza views it but uh, you know he he was making valid critiques if somewhat one-sided of culture human nature etc he was not crazy he was not just you know saying i hate life he wasn't just saying life sucks and You know whatever like he wasn't just emoting he was thinking uh and yeah i mean he was obviously there was more to it than just the thought like it wasn't just the thought the philosophy that drove him to kill but that was part of it uh and in those videos he was thinking very clearly he wasn't like going crazy and that i think that's going to be very difficult for some people to cope with that You know sometimes these people are not crazy they just have a very different view of the world Uh, and maybe in some ways you know it's a much more rational view because most people never ask the questions that lanza asked you know like they never ask the question what is the purpose of life or is life good right and ethelists ask that question eulavism is asking the question right well it gives an answer to it as well but you know, most people don't even ask the question. So arguably, they are less rational than somebody like Mendham or Lanza who asks the question. Even if they eventually come to a conclusion that we might disagree with or, you know, view as like horrific, uh, they are thinking. So anyway.
1: Yeah, here, here reminds me a lot. You know, we mentioned rationalists at the beginning of of the episode. And he, 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 reminds me of, um, you know, capital R less wrong style rationalist, which makes sense given the the time and, and and place he's coming up in, um, you know, especially his points about pedophilia. This is something that I think like sort of like less wrong style, uh, you know, people, you know, get in trouble for to this day. this, uh, is it wrong or have, you know, have we bullied people into assigning trauma to certain events? i I'm, you know, just to be be clearing of a disclaimer, i'm I obviously believe it's wrong. and, you know, there's you, we're not assigning a badness to it. it. some things are just bad. but um, you know, it's it's wrong for a whole suite of reasons I don't have to get into it. now. but um I, I don't know it was really it was really it was really interesting. and it is it interesting to see like pedophilia coming up so often, but Not it, I kind of, I kind of, you know, bought into his, his, uh, you know, explanation that he, he wasn't a pedophile. It was just sort of like the perfect moral quandary to apply to a lot of these questions or to apply these questions to.
0: Well, I think he might have been, or he might have, uh, whether or not he was, the arguments are the arguments and his, uh, you know, his sexuality or whatever is not, uh, part of the arguments. Yeah, I mean, the, he he did seem very concerned about that issue. Uh, and mostly it was because, yeah, in his view, this was just culture. This was just uh, an arbitrary value that was imposed on people. And people were being punished for, you know, acting on their feral values. And uh, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really want to get into a long discussion of that topic for a lot of reasons. But uh, I mean... It, you know, m- most people are not going to ask the question because they just know the, the view they're supposed to have and they're just going to have it, right? So they're not going to open that can of worms. And I think one of the reasons why he did that is because it was a way of, like, re- you know, being rebellious. Like, he sent it in as his college application essay, right? It was his way of, of Xing himself out of the world, uh, you know, like some people, you know, they put a tattoo on their face, so there's no going back. You know, you're, you're um, not not one of the world, and then that was part.
2: I'd, I should say that before I start, I'm not a pedophile. I'm not remotely pedophilic. I've never had, well, no, I've never knowingly had any association with anyone who is remotely pedophilic. Uh, 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 pedophilic. I have never seen child pornography, I've never tried to look up child pornography, I have absolutely nothing to do with pedophilia or anything like that. My interest in anti pedophobia is entirely academic. And if you think if you think that if you've listened to my other videos and by the time that I finish reading this quasi essay, that I'm just trying to justify some latent pedophilia, then I really have nothing to say to you, just flame me or whatever. I did
1: wonder um, if part of, uh, you know, part of his reasoning, and of course this is sort of me being like an armchair psychologist, is if something did happen and, you know, he says, I wasn't molested. And I wondered like, well, maybe, you know, you wouldn't use the word molested or assaulted. Um, but what you're describing is sort of how you came to think of of certain you know of certain events in your life. Um, a sort of similar question, maybe to to move away from something so loaded to something maybe sl- <laughs> slightly less loaded, but still dangerous. Well, it's
0: funny that it's so loaded that that you know murder is less low, much less loaded even than right. that. Yeah,
1: no, yeah. I, I I went. I don't know how much research you've done into him, but um, I like really did a deep dive and I looked through all of his bookmarks. I like had the way back machine up and I was just going through every single one. And he had a lot of things saved about, um, uh, trans identity, um, you know, different, different kinds of things. And one of them was he had bookmarked the suicide of David Reimer, who was, um, a, a, a man who had a circumcision that went wrong. And, um, his parents raised him as a girl, um, by the recommendation of his physician, I believe. And, as he grew up, he realized that actually he was a man. Um, and he tried to, to I guess, detransition might be the, the word, but tried to live as an adult man, um, but ultimately killed himself. Um, and when you were explaining sort of his critique of biology, I was like, well, maybe that's what his fascination, that's that's where that fascination came from. But then part of me wondered, like, d- did maybe there was some sort of hormone problem or he had some kind of confusion because he also had like a book saved and there's a couple of other items but this this is the one that stands out like a book saved that was about like you know what makes a man a man and what makes a woman a woman um on a biological level like and about sex differences um and i thought that was i don't know i thought that was like an interesting thing to see keep coming up over i don't i think the bookmarks were probably over uh several years because there's like I think like 18 different versions of them.
0: Hmm. Well, it could, I mean, there are a number of ways that could have been interesting to him. Yeah. I mean, one is the, that he was sort of asexual or not very, uh, not, not stereotypically masculine and uh, probably didn't have stereotypical masculine desires. Uh, but it could also be that that was an example of somebody trying to impose an identity on someone that wasn't their natural you know, feral self and that, that it failed, right. That you can't make a man into a woman culturally, uh, because a man is a man. He has these feelings, desires, whatever. And even if you try to, um, you know, fashion him in a different form, the the sort of original form tries to come back, right. So, so that's another reason he might've been interested in it. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like he might've, it's hard to know why somebody's interested in something that they bookmarked. Right. But I can think of a few reasons why he might've found that interesting and relevant.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I would have, it's, it's a really tragic story and he's, you know, he does have this fascination with these sort of like morbid, you know, all these tragedies. He also bookmarked, um, you know, like the social media profiles of the victims of the, Virginia tech shooting. Right. So it makes sense in that way. But then I, the reason I, I flagged it was because it wasn't just the David Reimer story. It was the David Reimer story. And you know, this, this, and this, and I thought like, Oh, this is, this has clearly been on his mind. Um, there, there's a lot of like weird, weird things like that. in his bookmarks that, you know, very well may have been, uh, passing curiosity and then other things. Well, He was also
0: very interested in suicide and murder. Right. Uh, murder, suicide. That's another angle. Uh, yeah, I know that he was a very fascinated by murder, mass murder of children, things like that, which don't come out in the videos and don't really relate to the philosophy directly because there's no way to go from like, rejection of value to I should kill children. Um, it It doesn't say you shouldn't kill children. It just doesn't have any real implications, right? I mean, except maybe suicide, but even that is is dubious. But I think like a lot of these mass murderers, he was in a fantasy world and he immersed himself in this fantasy world and he was dwelling on these fantasies. And then at some point the real world was starting to intrude. Like he was going to be forced to go out, maybe get a job, you know, be a normal human being. And so he was going to have to lose his fantasy world. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's part of why he acted out and did what he did. It was like, you know, to go kind of go out within the fantasy. Uh, and in that way, he's similar to people like the Columbine killers or Elliot Roger, people who really immersed themselves in fantasy and never really accepted reality. So I think that's another part of it, which is not entirely, you know, linked to the philosophy, but you could see, uh, I mean, they're not orthogonal either. They're kind of related.
1: Um, do you have a sense of. He mentions in, in I think, his final video, um, or like the final video that maybe uh, people had access to or something, um, that the pro-culturists uh, bullied him. He
2: realized that he was being very cruel, for lack of a better word. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Here he says in the rambling vulgar rant of a Ruminative Vagrant video, Boohoo, nobody but you cares about cultural conditioning. That's actually quite false. Everyone cares about cultural conditioning. You care about cultural conditioning, I do. You, you don't realize... Civilization isn't something which just emerges, it's a consequence of the indoctrination of children. Just because no one addresses it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I don't know what else to say to that. And you're projecting your, well, he says to me, you're projecting your own personal horrid and imposing values onto everyone else. That he, he doesn't, I've admitted that value is a delusion.
0: In um, he was responding to comments that were made that were on his channel. I can't remember the person, but I saved the, um, some of the snapshots of it. So there was somebody, let me just find the name just take a second here. Uh, where do I keep these weird things? Uh, not there. Okay. I might not be able to find it. Um, yeah, I'd have to dig it up somewhere. He was getting, he, he was having somebody repeatedly comment on his channel. And what they were saying was basically stop being a, a sissy, stop being a wimp. Like, you know, be be normal, right? Accept cult, accept our values, live up to our values, stop saying things that are, you know, opposed to our values. So they were doing exactly what he was critiquing and they were doing it without thinking. They were doing it in this unthinking way. They were unthinkingly just bullying him because he was different, because he was presenting a different view and I think that did kind of drive him off of uh, of youtube and social media like he just stopped uh... making videos I, I just don't understand I
2: don't want to get into this no it's I'm not projecting my own personal horror I, cult, if culture weren't suffering it doesn't matter that it's suffering, but it is suffering, and if it weren't suffering, then we wouldn't be having this conversation, which is basically just consisting of you insulting me. And in my own way, I'm insulting you, and I'm doing it. I'm. I'm no different than you. I wish you could see that. He says you should read William S. Burroughs. He's like you, except not retarded and self-contradictory. Um, I looked him up and
0: I think the person that he was responding to the most was Myrmidon 51. I don't think he received any any more bullying than anybody else does on YouTube or social media. So like I'll just read one comment by this person, Myrmidon 51. And um It says nine years ago, this is a snapshot of the, uh, the, the channel taken at the time when it was still up. He said, if it makes you feel any better, this video made me literally shake with anxiety and I feel guilty for trolling you. So that's what Myrmidon 51 said. And that was in response to the video in which he said, in which, um, Lanza said, if you wanted to upset me, you've succeeded more than you could have expected. Right? So basically, he was, you know, this guy, myrmidon fifty one might have been very aggressively commenting and, um, you know, so-called bullying, if you want to call it that. but I think that was the main thing. but but I, I could be wrong. Like I don't know everything about it.
1: it's so it's so hard to know where the truth begins and ends. Um, there's so much weird baggage uh, and fantasy and uh i mean hoaxes the the forums that discuss him and the the you know even i think like even our mass murderers uh which is like one of the more like reliable sources for information about him um it's just there's just a lot of i don't know it's it's it takes a weird person to want to collect and collect information about and understand adam lanza i think
0: yeah for sure uh well, I mean there are those people who are obsessed with specific mass murderers or cases of mass murder. He had a lot of uh weird things out there. Some of them I copied. I, I didn't copy all of them because I'm not obsessed with him. I you know, found him sort of interesting, but I don't know all the you know, all the details. Um he had some kind of play that he wrote, he had a number of essays that he wrote. Uh yeah, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think he was like especially bullied or anything like that. I think he was just putting his ideas out there and realized that, well, you're not going to change minds by just putting ideas out there, (laughs) which is like what everybody discovers when they try to communicate to the world, you know, when they they put their manifesto up on the, in the town square, Uh, it just gets ignored. So, but you know, um, he did get some positive engagement too, and he was on peripheral to that circle of anti-natalists and ethylists that uh, probably did give him some positive feedback. So yeah, but yeah, one one thing about it is that the media really just ignored Lanza or painted a very odd, like painted a picture of him as just some crazed killer. And I haven't seen anything in the mainstream media about the videos, like anything about it. And I don't think it's even on the Wikipedia page. Uh, are you aware of anything out there that like isn't
1: um, there's there's some acknowledgement of his his personality i mean not not about the videos um that's for sure, but there's some acknowledgement um of his worldview um but it's i I don't think people are very very interested in it for some reason. I think they they're kind of committed to thinking of him as uh, just a a crazed killer where there's no explanation, and I I, I get it. I, I find him like very hard to understand. You read his chat logs, and he has this very sort of like, of the era, uh, like, you know, kind of like, rar. I'm so random. X D X D X D. Like weeaboo kind of humor, which contrasts the videos, which contrasts with his like hyperstophilia or whatever was going on there. Um. So he's like a very difficult person to parse. I mean, I. I think like the, what, the, the standard narrative is he's like, you know, an, uh, an evil schizophrenic or something, which just doesn't feel right. Or like, uh, you know, someone with severe autism who had a psychotic turn and, the, you know, this tragedy came out.
0: Yeah. Well, they always show that one picture of him staring with those kind of crazed eyes, which, you know, obviously presents a certain, uh, well, leads you a certain, in a certain direction. Like the guy's just crazy. And I think that's the way people want to view it. Like they don't want to uh, go any deeper. They want to just say, this is crazy. And so let's, uh, let's ignore it. Like, let's just say it's crazy and let's, uh, you know, we can signal about how, how evil it is or how wrong it is or whatever, but we're not going to try to understand it. Uh, And I think that's pretty typical, not just of Lanza, but of other mass murderers, you know, they don't, like people don't really want to know what they believed. They're very quick to condemn and to, and of course we should condemn it, right? But I mean, they're very quick to just, you know, like dismiss it, right? Just say, well, you're, you're a monster or you're crazy. And then that's it. Um,
1: well, I, I think like part of it too is, um, you know, he's very clearly a product, and I get into this a little bit more in my other episode, but he's clearly like a product of someone who's a heavy internet user, um, and who is a product of these communities. Um, and for him, it became deeply negative, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the culture that he's immersed in is totally toxic. And I think when, when these, these sort of subcultures are acknowledged, it's, they get the, the, you know, the neo-Nazi label or whatever kind of immediately, but that's not, that's not really the move. Right, so that they, they ne- we never get a full picture of what exactly is going on there, and, and what are the mechanisms, and what are what's the average person like? It's always sort of, you know, who's who's the the edge case that does something that does something very very horrific, and w- what can we learn from them instead of what can we learn from what's happening in general? Yeah,
0: well, they're uh, they're being used as signaling devices. They're not really. I mean, people are not really trying to understand uh, opposing views in general. They're usually just trying to contrast themselves and say well, I'm good. And this, you know, look at this bad thing. So by comparison, I'm good. And it's kind of interesting though, that antinatalism and ephilism have not really been on the radar and have not gotten a lot of negative pushback, even though they are quite, I mean, ephilism is not that big, but antinatalism arguably is like a a very big uh, movement and has a lot of people in it. And it is an anti-life ideology. And it's almost entirely ignored. I mean, there is like a kind of acknowledgement of a certain view that ch- having children is bad, but there isn't much awareness in the public of antinatalism as an ideology or like what they believe and, and stuff like that. Like if you contrast it with like white nationalism or men's rights, those got a lot more attention and provoked a much bigger backlash than something which literally says we should you know go extinct so i mean it's just interesting that you know <laughs> that saying i want a homeland for my race or uh can we at least you know openly discuss race differences is like the epitome of evil whereas saying we should you know the entire human species should go extinct or all life should be annihilated is just like meh you know it's like nothing like who cares? Uh...
1: I think it's because, um, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with like the way things get reported. And, you know, a lot of these communities get conflated with adjacent communities, right? Like that's, I think that's been a theme throughout this discussion. Um, And I think when the average person thinks um, antinatalist, they think child free by choice, right? They don't think antinatalist. They think, uh, you know, they think maybe like a 35 year old um, white woman in New York who is child free by choice, and that she's kind of leaning into that. Maybe she's uh, super into climate change, or uh, you know, she's she's really hardcore uh, into the leftism, and uh, she's uh, ironically like anti-extinction, right? You know, those those marches that uh, climate change activists do, um, and that's obviously not it. That's not the same person who's an anti-natalist. But I think that. Um, in the mainstream mind if they've heard the word antinatalist and if they know it means that's what they think which is not again not, not the same at all
0: yeah there's an image that it gets and it's gotten a certain type of image and it's i think also because uh, the right is not like even if somebody just says let's say you just say i don't want whites to disappear as a race well now that's the epitome of evil and it's not just because it's uh you know biased or whatever. It's because that view is in opposition to humanist values, whereas ephelism and and antinatalism are kind of aligned with those values. So they're not really perceived, they're kind of perceived as as an extreme version of the left. Well, I guess that's generally true of all extreme left-wing movements is that they're not really perceived as very threatening, whereas extreme right-wing movements are perceived as threatening because they're sort of, uh, they're attacking something at the root, you know, like they're not just, uh, they're directly rejecting the core values on which the kind of institutional worldview of the modern West is based. Um, but that's, that's like a big can of worms that I just opened up and I probably shouldn't have, uh, started doing that, but,
1: um, no, I mean this, this, that same point, uh, comes up in, uh, in my other discussion, because I, because I think you're right, um, it's, and it's kind of, you talk about this long enough, you kind of end up there.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. One of the things that I've noticed is that internet discussions tend to go very quickly, either into pure insults, pure like, you know, you suck, drama, whatever. Or they go right down to the very deepest philosophical questions, like, what is the purpose of life? What are we going to do with our lives? The internet brings this out because it's kind of like radical. I mean, it's radical irrationality and it's radical rationality. It opens up communication and it creates the potential for people to ask questions that normally they don't. And when two ideologies come into conflict, in some sense, they both lose because each one can attack the foundations of the other as being irrational so uh, this is what i call imminentizing the abyss that in a way like the modern world is opening up philosophical questions that in the past people just were never really aware of because they just had their ordinary life and they just lived their ordinary life did their ordinary things and they didn't have to worry about the purpose of life but the modern world is starting to confront us with big questions that most people aren't really prepared to answer, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's surprising how quickly almost any discussion on the internet will get right down to what is the purpose of life. (laughs) Um, you know, whether it's like men's rights or, or communism versus capitalism or whatever, like, you know, antinatalism obviously is right down there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is like, we're, we're at a time when, um it's like we've never seen more irrationality more craziness but we've also never seen more like radical rationality like asking the big questions so and, and they're scary <laughs> the big questions are kind of scary right uh
1: they, i mean they are scary um you know like i i uh i spend a lot of time on twitter probably too much time um and in the circles that i kind of I don't really frequent them anymore, but I was sort of like adjacent to it or whatever. The solution to this is don't ask the questions. Uh, let something else, uh, like your culture or your religion, answer them for you, and it, embrace the structure that has already been set down for you. Um, and you know, I, I I wondered in listening to to uh, Adam Lanza's YouTube videos, like. Is this someone who would have been served if he was, or you know, better served by just uh, finding God? Would he have eventually found God? Was that totally off the table for him due to just what he he believed to his core? Um, you know, could he have even, in a detached way, embraced a tradition and used that to get through it? I mean, he was so young. He was. It's, I think it's easy to forget he was only twenty.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, he was very young. Yeah. Well, I don't think that that is. Uh... Is possible. I think um, once you go down the rabbit hole, you have to keep going and going and you can't really, you, you can't back out. And I don't think he was ever in a tradition like that. I mean, those traditions kind of protect people from philosophical questions, but they do that by censoring them, right? By shutting, shutting them off, by saying this is not an acceptable question, right? And uh, once you... Go past that fence once you get outside of that boundary, uh, that you see that there's nothing there never was a boundary, or that the, you know, you've destroyed the boundary by walking over it. So, yeah, I really don't think so. I think the only way, in a sense, out of nihilism is to go through nihilism. but uh, we're really getting we're like opening up all these uh, things that are really big like these big questions right we're kind of doing exactly what i said happens that uh like you can't talk about lanza without talking about the meaning of life right Uh, unless you're just saying lanza sucks and lanza was a a a monster or he was crazy once you start really thinking about it you're going to get to those questions pretty quickly
2: school is such a great place you get to learn stuff and become a better person to make a better tomorrow I, tr- I actually have a lot of dreams about school. It's strange, but I still dream about middle school and... Well, not my middle school, but... I, I don't know. I always... You know, that sense that you have in a dream where you actually know something. And I'd then fire me to the end, I just know it's middle school or high school or something like that, but usually middle school. But I think, Well, what is school? School is culture. Basically, it's in cultural indoctrination. And what is culture? The imposition of deprivation. And that has me thinking about dreams. Aren't dreams strange? I wonder how they pertain to culture. I've never really thought about that. Dreams are the only place where I've felt pleasure. So, what does that mean? It means that dreams are fulfilling some deprivation that I have. Oh, that must be why people say, cultures say, you need to work toward your dreams. Because they fulfill that deprivation. Make your dreams a reality. Well, I
0: don't want my dreams to be a reality. I want my dreams to be sprayed all over the wall.